Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow my journey as an amateur piano player who is striving to one day play Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Hopefully is an episode on this very podcast. But until that day comes, every week we tackle a piece that I encounter along that road, exploring the history surrounding the work and the music within. Hopefully by the end of the episode, we all learn a little bit about music and our appreciation for the piano grows a little bit. And we can use this foundation so that we can all build up to more complex works in the future. This is episode 10.1, the first episode in the 10th series of the podcast. Made it to 10, that's a landmark in itself. For the past four months, we have been on a historical spotlight tour through musical history, where we have singled out a prominent composer from each era and explored some of their work. The journey started with series five, with Bach in the Baroque period. Then we moved on to series six with Beethoven in the classical period. Series 7 was with Chopin, the Romantic period, and then we hit the 20th century, with Series 8 on the post-Romantic period with Eric Satie, and we just finished Series 9 in the Jazz Age with Gershwin. This series marks the end of our historical tour, because we've essentially arrived at modern day. We're going to spend the next three weeks discussing some works by contemporary composer Philip Glass a prominent composer of the modern style known as minimalism. As I'm sure you realize, since we're all living within the modern era of music, it's really an amalgamation of many factions. As history and music evolve, it becomes exponentially more difficult to speak generally about the music of an era. So we're going to have to narrow our focus a bit. So instead of talking about folk music or rock and roll, 80s pop, electronica, we're going to focus our attention to a style of modern music called minimalism. We spoke about this genre a little bit during our talks about composer Eric Satie in Series 8, because I would argue that the roots of minimalism could be traced back to Satie's own music at around the turn of the 20th century. But the term minimalism did not exist to describe this music until around 1960. The scene? Downtown New York and a group of experimental composers are toying around with a style of music that used repetitive, droning patterns and employed slight shifting of musical ideas that have the effect of gradual sonic evolution. It's unclear who first coined the term, but one of its earliest uses was by composer Tom Johnson, who was one of the first to self-identify as a minimalist composer. He writes... The idea of minimalism is much larger than many people realize. It includes, by definition, any music that works with limited or minimal materials. Pieces that only use a few notes. Pieces that use only a few words of text. Or pieces written for very limited instruments, such as antique cymbals, bicycle wheels, or whiskey glasses. It includes pieces that sustain one basic electronic rumble for a long time. It includes pieces made exclusively from recordings of rivers and streams. It includes pieces that move in endless circles. It includes pieces that set up an unmoving wall of saxophone sound. It includes pieces that take a very long time to move gradually from one kind of music to another kind. It includes pieces that permit all possible pitches, as long as they fall between C and D. 
It includes pieces that slow the tempo down to two or three notes per minute. So, as you can see, it includes a lot of different pieces. Minimalism is not something that can be described with a single set of rules. The minimalist movement was originally started by dozens of composers, but only five of them really stood out to be associated with American minimalism. Lamonte Young, Terry Riley, Steve Reich, John Adams, and our own spotlight composer, Philip Glass. The movement didn't translate as explicitly across the Atlantic, but several notable European composers, like Michael Nyman and Arvo Pärt, also share these minimalist traits. The basic idea in minimal music is that there is a principal theme with little embellishment and substantial repetition. These are generally works for solo instruments or small ensembles. But composers like John Adams also wrote minimal works for full orchestra. The rhythms buzz around like a steady motor, and when combined with the repetitive elements, cause the music to have a trance-like effect. In the kindest way possible, because I really do believe this is a compliment. This is excellent music for studying or falling asleep. It's kind of the musical equivalent of a group of clouds. Difficult to discern the edges, unclear form, yet can also be bright white or dark gray. Composer Leonard B. Meyer described it as follows. Because there is little sense of goal-directed motion, minimal music does not seem to move from one place to another. Within any musical segment, there may be some sense of direction. But frequently... The segments fail to lead to or imply one another. They simply follow one another. As you may guess, this new style of music confronted a wave of criticism, including outright dismissals and a fear of American regression. Pierre Boulet described it as a sign that, quote, American audiences are primitive and uneducated. The New York Times, kids nowadays just want to get stoned. Christopher Lash wrote it off as, quote, minimalist narcissism. Ian McDonald claimed it was the passionless, sexless, and emotionally blank soundtrack of the machine age. But in the harshest critique and overreaction of the year, Elliot Carter wrote that minimalist repetition is dangerously seductive propaganda, akin to Hitler's speeches and advertising putting Don Draper and Hitler in the same sentence. How dare you, sir. Carter continued to criticize minimalism with a concept I actually somewhat agree with. He says, In a civilized society, things do not need to be said more than three times. Sure, we may not need it, but can art not be indulgent? I mean, I don't need this chocolate bar, but it doesn't mean that I can't appreciate its value. Defenders of minimalism argued that the United States was a nation still haunted by the horrors of World War II, and that minimalism was exactly what the doctor ordered. Sometimes a simple yet beautiful musical line in which you can lose yourself is the ideal therapeutic tonic. Kyle Gann said that minimalism represented a predictable return to simplicity, 
after earlier styles had run its course to extreme and unsurpassable complexity. You know, I think this concept is pretty fascinating. I often wonder about this with modern fashion. With each passing decade, it becomes more and more in vogue to show more skin. But we're going to run out at some point. And when that happens, are we going to do a complete 180 and revert back to Victorian times? Who knows? The musical world is substantially different, I give you that. But the concept may prove to hold water. We'll see. I'd hold off on buying those petticoats and top hats just for now. But for this episode, let's swap those Victorian dinner jackets for denim and those powdered wigs for the biggest hair you can manage. Because we're going to the 1980s to explore a work by Philip Glass called The Metamorphosis. The Metamorphosis is a solo piano work that Glass wrote in 1988, consisting of five movements. The work is inspired by a work of the same name, a novella by Franz Kafka, which may bring back some high school memories for you, as it's a popular student read. It's a story about a man who wakes up one day and finds that he has turned into a cockroach. And it's also the reason why pretentious teenagers start using the word Kafkaesque. Glass also wrote some of these pieces for contributions to a documentary film called The Thin Blue Line, which focuses on telling the story of a Texan psychiatrist nicknamed Dr. Death, who would try to convince juries that alleged murderers were not only guilty, but that they were likely still a threat to society, and he pushed for the death penalty, even if the plaintiff was innocent. The documentarian who made the film, Errol Morris, said he chose Philip Glass to score the film because he does existential dread better than anybody. He's the master of existential dread. But since I'm not a big fan of imagining cockroaches when I'm listening to music, I much prefer this particular analytic theory. The five works of the metamorphosis can be compared to the lifespan of a plant. Number one, the seed. Number two, germination. Number three, growth. Number four, life. And number five, death. And since the entire work of the metamorphosis takes over 20 minutes to perform, we're going to focus on just a couple of these movements today. And I feel like number one is the logical place to start. So let's start with the seed. The first movement might sound familiar to you, as it was actually written into an episode of the show Battlestar Galactica, where the character of Starbuck plays this piece, which was written by her father in the show. Or maybe Starbuck's father is just Philip Glass. The piece was also included in the very last episode of Person of Interest. I haven't seen an episode of that show, so that's where my commentary ends. But back to the music. The first movement is the seed. It sets the stage. It's also a great first taste of minimalist style. Because even for glass, this piece is extremely sparse. The metamorphosis opens with a statement of four chords. While this is the very beginning of the piece, 
This slowdown will become exceedingly rare throughout the entire work. Throughout a majority of the 25 pages of sheet music for all five movements of the Metamorphosis, the left hand plays a wavering motor of steady eighth notes, just like this. And after the first movement, this left hand accompaniment continues relentlessly throughout the second, third, and fourth movements without a single measure as an exception. When I say minimalism relies on repetition and trance-like qualities, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This work thrives on the drumming, repetitive left-hand rhythm to lull your mind into comfort and really focus on what's happening with the right hand. So once the left-handed motor introduces itself and kicks in, the right hand brings in the main thematic material for the first movement, which is played in octaves and comes out like chimes. It's a simple melody, but by using a repetitive left-hand accompaniment, and repeating it several times, it becomes a memorable line. Minimal music kind of has the same effect as a macro lens in photography. It allows you the time to focus in on simplistic ideas and see the zoomed in beauty. This entire first movement is really a drift between these three elements. We have the slowdown of the chords, the gentle motor of the left hand, and several passes of the right-handed theme. And through the use of repetition, these three elements construct a piece that is roughly six minutes long. So I know I've said in the past that I'm not a big fan of repetition just for repetition's sake, especially in music of the classical period, where repetition was necessary then to give the audience a sense of familiarity, because there was no way for the audience to play these pieces over and over again unless they are musicians themselves. But repetition is actually part of the work in this case. It's kind of the backbone of the work, actually. So I honored the composer's intent here to provide the full effect. Let's take some time to reflect on Philip Glass's first movement of the metamorphosis and try to forget all about people turning into cockroaches.
Well, now that we've found our Zen, let's continue our journey through the metamorphosis. We're going to jump ahead to movement number four, which in our plan analogy is the movement of life. I wanted to try to give the most contrasting movement to number one. And while this is the liveliest movement out of the five, and contains the climax of the entire piece, this is still a pretty low-key affair, true to its minimalist instincts. Movement 4 opens by reinforcing the left-handed 8th note motor. This is now the third movement in a row where we've heard nothing but eighth notes from the left hand, and it's not going to give up throughout this movement either. The eighth notes will not cease until we have reached the fifth and final movement, and it will come as rhythmic shock, which is fitting, since the fifth movement symbolizes death. But we're still very much alive here in movement number four, and the right hand brings in a syncopated rhythm to play off this steady left-handed accompaniment, giving the piece a sense of momentum that the first one definitely did not have. Then a little bit later, we encounter the climax of the movement and the overall metamorphosis. Moments like this become a signature in Philip Glass's piano work, a rapid, arpeggiated line with the right hand that is anchored by a steady left hand. These are the moments that make me appreciate Glass's music. They're also just really fun to play. Even the climax gets a repeat, so we are able to experience it one more time. Then the piece cools down and revisits the other elements that we previously discussed. Once again, we have three elements that make up this piece. The left-handed motor, the syncopated right-handed chords, and the arpeggiated climax. These three yarns are woven together through repetition to once again craft a piece of approximately six minutes. So let's check it out. This is the fourth movement of Philip Glass's Metamorphosis, symbolizing life.
From here, the piece takes us to the fifth movement of death, which revisits a lot of the same themes as the first movement. If you're a fan of Philip Glass and enjoyed these pieces today, I'd highly recommend checking out the entire work. This is usually the point where I'd redirect you to my own SoundCloud page, but I actually haven't personally recorded the other movements of this work. And if this music is not your particular cup of repetitive tea, trust me, I understand. There were and still are many critics of minimalism, and you are in good company. There's a reason I started with the metamorphosis. Even for Philip Glass and minimalism, this piece is pretty bare. The next two works we're going to dive into in the following weeks have a bit more going on, so there may be hope for you detractors yet. I would love to change your minds. And if you already like what you hear, congratulations on having good taste. <laughs> and you're in luck, because we have two more weeks to savor in the spotlight. You can find the standalone recordings of the pieces we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks from this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player and consider rating and reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode. Thank you, as always, for your time and your ears, and I'll talk to you next week. Wow, longest episode yet.